All right. Well, come on back and uh, grab your Bibles. And uh, we're going to finish out our family series this week. And we're, uh, you're going to need, hopefully, your notepad or if you have a phone and you can scratch notes. Um, I, hopefully, you're going to want to do that. Uh, well, we're, we're finishing a last but certainly not least, and I'm saying that on purpose, last but certainly not least is singleness, being single and what does the Bible say about it. And um, singleness, it brings you face to face, doesn't it, with um, submission to the will of the Lord, growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, picking up your cross daily, treasuring Christ, being a one-string guitar, so to speak, in a good way. I mean, seriously, one of my prayers is, maybe it's yours, one of my prayers is that I would be more single-minded. I can be interested in a million things. I'm a curious dude, and so I like to find out about things, and I love to read about history, and nothing wrong with any of that, but sometimes it diverts me from just sitting at the feet of the Lord. And so what we're about ready to talk to tonight is uh, so important and so relevant. You say, well, I'm married. I don't mean to be morbid. But you're probably not always going to be married. You ever thought about that? Right. And there's some here who are single, some listening online are single, uh, some who are married, some who aren't married anymore. And we live in a sin-soaked, sex-crazed, romance intoxicated culture, and it slams you in the face no matter where you go or what you do. I mean, you can hardly watch a football game. Well, you can't. You encounter some commercials, and you're like, wow, really? I mean, it, this isn't suitable for kids. <laughs> I mean, it's everywhere, folks. And so uh, one of the things that I hope we can do through our uh, time together tonight, is to take the wheat and separate it from the chaff. Because the world is telling you things about romance and sex and singleness and marriage that simply aren't true. And really dark and demonic. And so this impacts all of us as we come here together in the different relationships that we have, but, uh, you know, uh, relationships with a husband maybe or friends. Uh, uh, we have so many different relationships. We all wear different hats, uncles, aunts, friends, cousins, boyfriends, girlfriends. That's what we are. We're husbands, we're wives, we're kids, we're fathers. We're, we're all these different relationships, but then we come together and we're brothers and sisters 
and we're rooting for each other and pulling for each other and praying for one another. And I want to see and look at the truth. And something that I was struck about right off the bat when I started to examine this, whenever I started to examine this, you know what popped into my head? I knew what I was going to teach on. I said, well, I, you know, I'm the pastor. I should probably know this. I know that in the Bible, 1 Corinthians chapter 7 is where I was going to go because it talks some about being single. And it certainly is a great thing to look at. Here's why. You know, in Corinth, the church was having unbelievable immoral problems. And in the first six chapters of 1 Corinthians, do you know this? Paul is responding to problems that the church has, that he knows about, that he already knows about, that he's heard about, and he starts to talk about them, Christians suing other Christians. A stepson and a stepmom getting romantically and physically involved, and on and on and on we go. And then in chapter 7, he actually starts to respond to apparently a letter that was written and somehow arrived to him in which the church is asking him, we have specific questions we need to ask you about. And so when we get to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, I was blown away at something I had forgotten about, and I hope you're blown away (laughs) in the best possible way. Here's what it says in the first verse of chapter 7, 1 Corinthians. Now, concerning the things of which you wrote to me, Paul's finally getting to what they wrote to him. Now, let's just take a step back here. And Corinth, uh, you know, is in uh, the ancient world, in the Mediterranean Sea area, in the Mediterranean. But what what kind of... um, uh, ideas about marriage did Paul grow up about? Let's think about that for a minute, or grow up with. Let's think about the ideas that Paul grew up with. The ideas that Paul grew up with is that marriage was everything, and that if you weren't married, you weren't, not valid, but you weren't up there with everybody else because you didn't have heirs and you couldn't, you weren't being fruitful and multiplying. And so you were on unequal footing with ones who did. In fact, that attitude is sort of um, remained in much of the countries that aren't the United States. I mean, many of the traditional areas and countries they still stress that family is everything, that family is everything, and that your worth and your whatever, worth to God, whatever, is tied up in whether or not you have produced a family. What's interesting, okay, so that's what Paul was surrounded with back in the ancient world, and some of that existed and still is in the world today. You go to different countries, uh, you'll find that. But what's interesting is in the United States, what marks the United States? 
over the last 200 years or less than that, 100 years especially, but 200 years, what, what marks the United States? The United States, here's what the United States is marked by. Individualism. The cowboy was everything. And so, you know, you pulled yourself up by your own bootstraps, you provided for yourself, you did everything, you didn't cry, you didn't show any emotion. Whatever was good for you as the cowboy, that was what was good. And what's sort of been swept up in all of that as we've gone on and on and on, and we've been through things like the 80s. Anybody here remember the 80s? Okay, I do. I grew up, I was in high school in the 80s. And the, the, the time, yes, the time of unbelievable wealth and out for me and uh, gaining, uh, you know, doing the stock market and all those sorts of things. And that sort of exacerbate this idea that things that I bring into my life must benefit me. And what's included in that, and I think has snuck into the church, is marriage. Marriage. Marriage, that thing where, you know, if it makes me happy, if he makes me happy, or if she makes me happy, well, then we're going to have a successful marriage. The problem with that is, as we all know, if we're married, is he or she doesn't always make you happy. Oh, am I the only one that feels that? <laughs> no, it's just the way life is. Because when you take two sinners who've been saved by grace and put them together in a house for, you know, 24-7 for all 30 years or whatever it is, I mean, you, you know. So, so we've sort of grown up in that era. And those are things that when we read Paul's letter, we're sort of dealing with here in the United States. In fact, it's crept into the church in some places. I mean, you know, it's always about the marriage ministry and uh, nothing for the singles. And, um, and you know, th there's these uh, little things that maybe come from the pulpit. And maybe I've done it before. And if I have, God forgive me because I don't want to do that. Where we've sort of elevated the people in the, uh, who are married and uh, sort of gave short shrift to the ones who are single. And yet, when you watch and read and study what we're about ready to study... This is radical. Nowhere else is signalness elevated to the level that the gospel of Jesus Christ elevates it. And help us if we do that sort of thing, Lord, that make people feel bad because of their different relationship. And here's what I was struck by when I read this again. I mean, I know this chapter. I know what this chapter talks about. I knew when I got ready to do this that I was uh, going to turn to chapter 7 because it talks about, obviously, the principles of marriage in a culture that's evil and immoral. Boy, do we need to get back to that, right? Sounds like us. And these are the things that I was blown away by. And by the way, well, anyway, these are the things I was blown away by. The first one is, it's good for a man not to touch a woman. <laughs> now, there's a big debate about what's happening here. Is that the first bullet point on the letter that came to Paul and that he's addressing? Some people believe that. Some people believe what he's doing is recounting what was asked of him. Other people, by, like me, believe it's Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, thinking about 
what's good. It's, uh, it's good for a man not to touch a woman in this sense, to have relations with her. That's what this is talking about. In other words, to remain uh, uh, sexually pure and to remain single. That's what that's talking about. And it goes on and it says, nevertheless, you, you know these, because of sexual immorality. I mean, seriously, is this countercultural now or what? Well, listen to this. Let each man have his own wife and let each woman have her own husband. Let the husband render his wife the affection due her. I'm reading this on purpose, by the way, because, I, uh, because there, there's coming a point. You're like, why are you reading about marriage? Well, watch this. And let each woman have her own husband. Verse 3, let the husband render his wife the affection due her, and likewise also the wife to her husband. The wife doesn't have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Oh, boy. And likewise, the husband doesn't have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another except with consent for a time. What? To each other's bodies. That you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer and come together again so that Satan doesn't tempt you because of your lack of self-control. But I say this as a concession, not as a commandment. That's what Paul says. Now, here's what got me. I'd forgotten. For I wish that all men were even as I myself. Now, do you understand how radical of a statement that is in the culture in which Paul was writing? And to have this being read and uh, now I re realize he's writing to the Corinthians. They're full of sexual immorality. But can you imagine his brothers in the Jewish faith reading what he just wrote? His sisters in the Jewish faith reading what he just wrote? You know, you read some of the writings of the rabbis of the time about singleness versus marriage. Who I wouldn't trot that in here and read it. It's rough. So uh, what I'm trying to say is, here comes Paul and he says, I say to the unmarried and to the widows, it's good for them if they remain even as I am. What was Paul? Well, you know, many people believe Paul was married at one point, but clearly he's not married now in, while he's writing. One of the reasons we believe he was married is because he was a member of the council, the Sanhedrin, a Pharisee of the Pharisees. In order to be a member of the council, you had to be married, but it never really tells you in the Bible. But here, clearly, he's not married. And no one really knows why. And there's theories on why. But here he says, and it's shocking. To you, it's not shocking. To me, it's not that shocking. But to them, it is shocking. I say to the other uh, unmarried and to the widows, hey, it's good for them if they remain, even as I am. Because you recognize if um, uh, something happened and a person got unmarried in that culture, there would be a race, a rush a do-anything-at-all-costs-to-get-married push by the person who was unmarried. You understand that? And so, listen, Paul says something very countercultural at the time, and even in some ways countercultural now. But I say to the unmarried and to the widows, it's good for them if they remain even as I am. What I would say about singleness that Paul tells us here is that if you're a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, You've surrendered your life to Christ, and you're counting on the finished work of Christ at the cross and his resurrection. You understand that you've been saved by grace through faith. If you understand that, then you could understand that we live for something higher and greater than just our happiness. 
You understand that? We're living for something higher and greater. We're part of the story of God that's so big and so mammoth and so amazing that it's not just about our little, you know, wedding ring and, you know, oh, did you see how we painted our room and put it on Instagram and, and, you know, oh my goodness, we're going on these vacations and we have this amazing 401k and I want you all to look at it and envy us, please. All the while posting on Instagram our, you know, $200 Bibles that we're buying and coloring up and coloring and all that sort of thing. And we think that's what Christianity sometimes is about. And we're trying, you know, in a backhanded way to sort of say, I got something you don't. And Paul here is saying, if you're a born again, filled Christian who has been touched by the grace of God, you understand that what God has for me is the greatest and best. And I'm on his mission. He's not on my mission. I'm going to say that one again. I'm on his mission. He's not on my mission. And that what God has for me, that's what I want to be and do and have. Now, has he put certain desires and things into our hearts? Of course. Of course he has. But he says, now to the married, I, or excuse me, I say to the unmarried and to the widows, it's good. Singleness, I want you to know, is a good thing according to the Bible, according to God. It's good. It's not second-class citizen. It's not something that's bad. It's not something like, oh, what's wrong with you? You're, you're in the church and you're, you know, this year old. And No, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says it's good. And so I want you to know that. But even more, I want you to look at the next line. But each, each, each. Paul's going to talk here in this chapter to several different people, people who aren't married, people who are engaged, people who have had a husband or a wife leave, or people who have a husband or wife die, uh, people who are sexually, anyway. Uh, and, and he is saying this, each one has his own charisma. It's the Greek word that you use for gifts. I forgot. <laughs> Every time you see this word, you, you, you just let your heart be filled with all that God has done for you. Remember, I put this back here. Uh, it's a little bookmark. If you want one of these, grab it when you go. I want you to put it in your book because, or your Bible because every time you hear about the, or every time you come across the word grace, I want you to remind yourself what grace is. And I think this is the greatest definition of grace I've ever read. I'm going to read it again. You all who come to Calvary, you're like, oh, please don't. But I'm going to. And I want you to, this is sort of long, but I want you to recognize that God's grace has established you in your relationships, whatever they are. Wherever you are, do you believe and trust in God's grace? Wherever you are, do you believe and trust in God's providence? Wherever you are, do you believe and trust in God's sovereignty? Wherever you are, do you really believe that God 
works everything, everything, everything. He's not happy about everything, but do you believe that God works everything in every situation out for his good and your glory, Romans 8, 28? Do you believe that? Do you really believe it? But listen, the first thing I want you to know about singleness is that it's good. And the second thing I want you to know is it's established by grace. It's a gift. It's not a curse. It's a gift. That's what Paul says. What's grace? Listen, Alan Redpath says this in his Corinthians commentary. It's just one word which sums up all the blessings which come to our lives undeservedly from God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Listen, listen now. I know it's long. Primarily, the word grace describes a disposition in the very nature of God, in his character, which is revealed in his eternal, unchanging, and pardoning love. This is grace. You ready? Kindness an overflowing disposition in the heart of God. Now, wait a minute. This is what I want singles to know. God established where you are right now. Listen, do you believe it? It's in the Bible by grace. Grace is the kindness of God. But then God's dispositions are never passive or inactive. And grace, therefore, means love that is expressed and displayed in action. Love knows no limit to its endurance, no ends to its trust, no fading of its hope. Love can outlast anything. Just hold on with me and then go get this uh, bookmark, okay? And grace is still more this, than this. It's never fruitless. It's always fruitful. And therefore, the greatest meaning of grace Listen to this, folks. Is all the blessedness that comes, all the lovely, all the beautiful things that take place and uh, happen in the life of a man or woman who has come to know the indwelling Christ and the very nature of God dwelling in him by the Holy Spirit. Grace is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, self-control. Thus Paul, in effect, says in this commentary, God is able to make all grace abound towards you in order that you might have all sufficiency in all things. Who here, raise your hand, not to embarrass you, who here needs grace to be single? Raise your hand. Raise your hand. Do you need grace to be single? Now raise your hand here, folks. Do you need uh, grace to be married? Do you need grace to be a friend? Yes. And so the second thing I want you to see is that singleness is good. And God established it by grace. And who are we to complain and say, Somebody's second class because they're single. That's just awful. This is something that God says is good. You say, well, wait a second. In the Old Testament, he said, be fruitful and multiply. 
Malachi says that the purpose of marriage, one of the purposes is to have godly children. Ephesians 5, Paul himself has an elevated view of marriage. What, is he changing his mind here? No, not at all. Why? Because it doesn't have to be one good at the expense of another. There's two things that are good here. One being marriage, which, by the way, has some great unbelievable benefits, listen, in the mission of God to advance the kingdom because your relationship is a picture of Christ and his bride, but it also has some amazing disadvantages in advancing God's kingdom. And then singleness has some amazing advantages to advancing God's kingdom. We're going to see that here in a minute. And then yet it has some disadvantages because you don't get some of the things uh, that you had hoped for, you even had prayed for maybe. Not everybody, not everybody. So both have their benefits and their disadvantages. Now, I want you to see one more thing before we leave this topic, because I don't want anybody going out of here, whether you're married or you're single or whatever your status is, thinking one status is better than the other according to the Bible. The Bible is radical in elevating singleness, or the gospel is uh, radical in elevating singleness in a former culture that was totally against it. And currently, you know, in some of these traditional countries, totally against it. But in our way of thinking about what marriage is like, the way a marriage works is often contrary to what people think the marriage should be. The marriage should be this, an asset. If she can do certain things for me and advance my life and make me happy, let's get married. She says the same thing back. And we sort of stay in love until we're not. And then we're gone. But singleness here was established in good. Singleness here was established... Or, uh, is established in grace, and it's good. And I want you to see something that applies to all of us, but certainly applies to you as a born-again person who happens to be single. And it's this in chapter 5 of Romans. Therefore, having been justified by faith, faith, we have peace with God, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. Who here is old enough to remember that uh, ocean cranberry commercial of, you know, of that guy who's up in Washington State, and he's sort of up there in those high boots, and he's doing something in a cranberry bog, and, you know, he's, you're just sort of panned in on him, and then at the end of the commercial, they pan out, and the bog is like hundreds, you know, just this massive field, and he's just this little speck standing in that thing. Every time I read this verse, uh, that's what I think of. I want you to see something singled and married, but singled right now because that's what we're talking about. You're currently single, 
will God have somebody uh, come along and you get married to somebody? Sure, of course, that could happen and uh, may happen. But, but what is happening right now? You've been established by grace for something that's really important. And it's not just that you're established by grace. You stand in the grace of God. And that is big and huge and massive. I mean, you stand in the bog of the Ocean Spray commercial. (laughs) It's limitless. So I already read you what grace is. Listen to what this old preacher, William Newell, commentator William Newell, said about the proper attitude of a man or woman who stands in grace. Can I read it to you? The proper attitude of a man or woman who stands under grace, to believe in consent, listen to this, to be loved while unworthy. I'm going to let that just, write that down. One of the things that comes, one of the things that happens to us in our singleness is that we listen to the original lies that never change. The lies in the Garden of Eden were all about you getting, or uh, the enemy getting Eve, and then Adam, Eve especially at the beginning there, to believe that God wasn't for her. That there was something better that he was withholding from her. And that she knew better. Listen, and then she knew better than God did. It wasn't said like that, but that was what the lies and the deception was about. And one of the lies and the deceptive things that come to and sometimes singles say to themselves is, why not me? Am I not good enough? And I want you to listen to this. What William Newell says. Because you are good enough to believe and consent to be loved while unworthy. Yes, you're unworthy of being loved by the Lord, and he loves you anyway is the great secret. And then to expect to be blessed, though realizing more and more uh, that you didn't merit doing anything to get blessed. To testify of God's goodness at all times. Are you listening to this? Write this down. I'll give it to you. To be certain of God's future favor, yet to be ever more tender in conscience toward him. To rely on God's chastening hand as a mark of his kindness. A man under grace, like Paul, has no burdens regarding himself, but many burdens about other people. That's a man or a woman standing under God's grace. Isn't that powerful? Now watch, turn with me. Back to 1 Corinthians 7 because I got to get you to the rest of the story. But the first thing I remembered or wanted to show you is, is that God's, it's good, or excuse me, being single is good, and it's established by God's grace, not God's punishment, not God's disfavor, but God's favor. You're like, wait a minute, how? Well, Paul explains. Watch this. Uh, Turn over with me to verse 25. Now concerning virgins, that's how my uh, uh, book reads, but uh, most people, almost all commentators agree that we're talking about the unmarried here. I have no commandment from the Lord, yet I give judgment as one whom the Lord in his mercy has made trustworthy. 
I suppose, therefore, that this is good because of the present distress, that it is good for a man, man to remain as he is. Now, just hang with me. I got a point, but I just got to point this out to you. Paul's writing about something that we don't exactly know what he means. What's the present distress that he's talking about. Maybe it's the coming persecution of the Romans and Nero. Maybe that's it. Uh, uh, maybe it's something else. We have no idea. But something was happening to the Corinthian Christians and possibly all Christians soon that Paul was concerned about. I want you to remember something. Timothy tells us in the latter days. When, when are the latter days? If you don't know when the latter days, here I'll tell you. The latter days, according to the book of Acts, started with the first coming of Jesus Christ and continues till now. And I know there's a lot of different people with a lot of different eschatologies, but when Jesus is going to come back. But until that time, we're in the church age, and the church age, according to Acts, is the latter days. And Timothy says, in the latter days, there'll be perilous times. I mean, come on, folks. Are you serious? We are in an upside-down world. Just watch the news for one second. We are in an upside down world. We are in perilous times. So go back to what we're reading about. Paul says, listen, I suppose therefore that this is good because of the present distress that it's good for a man to remain as he is. Did you come into the Christian faith married? Stay married. Did you come into the Christian faith single? Well, it's cool if you stay single. Don't let anybody put a trip on you about one way or the other. Don't let any, by the way, early in the church's history and even continuing today in some sects, S-E-C-T-S, of the church, you're seen as more spiritual if you don't get married and have relations, right? And Paul is saying, in all ways, to all these different people, you don't have to do any of that. Just be who you are when you came in the door. Isn't that interesting? Because it's perilous times or distressing times. Are you bound to wife? Don't seek to be loosed. Are you loosed from a wife? Well, don't seek a wife. But even if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, unmarried person marries, she hasn't sinned. Nevertheless, such will have trouble in the flesh, but I would spare you. <laughs> There's one of the advantages of being single. <laughs> You're going to have trouble in the flesh when you get married opposed to a single person. Well, you're going to have in this life, what, what's one of the scriptures that you know very well that sort of tells you and talks to you about what this advantage is about? It's over in Hebrews chapter 12. It's in verse 1. Therefore, we also, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, watch this. I don't care if you're married, single, divorced, Widowed, I don't care, I don't care what your marital in that way. Listen to this. You're a Christian. And if you're a Christian, watch this. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. Before the sin, the Bible tells us that we're to lay aside every weight. In other words, you know what you're to do if you're a Christian? 
You're to run through this life light with not a lot of things weighing you down. Now, let me ask you something, and this isn't a slam either way. When you're single, you have a lot less burdens and responsibilities of people to think about, listen, as you're heading out the door to do God's work. You know, some of us have to arrange for a babysitter. Uh, Maybe one can't go because you have little ones or... I don't know, but you know, God's called you to go do something and other things. Not that children aren't bad. Don't think that, but a single person can get up and go and go do the thing. And that's one of the things that Paul says is a, an advantage. So he says, uh, brethren, uh, the time is short so that from now on, even those who have wives should be as though they had none. Now, I want you to see something here, and I want you to see another advantage of being single. Write this down. You're, you, don't, you're, you, you go through... Uh, 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 don't be making plans over there if you're married, but <laughs> you go through life, listen, lighter. <laughs> That's one. But here's what I want to uh, point out to you for singles. It's this, that you live your life in singleness in light of the coming of Jesus Christ. You ever thought about that? Listen to this again. The time is short. Now, I realize uh, here they thought he was coming back any day. But folks, the Bible tells us as pre-trib people who live here in the church age in the latter days, that we believe Jesus is coming back any day. So I say this, brethren, the time is short, so that from now on, even those who have wives should be as though they had none. Those who weep as though they didn't weep. Those who rejoice as though they didn't rejoice. Those who buy as though they didn't possess. And those who use this world as not misusing it. This is really fascinating, folks. Have you, come on. Check this out. Paul is telling us under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, no matter what relationships you found yourself in here, don't get too invested in that relationship or no relationship. Don't get too invested about all of that because the time is short. Jesus is coming. And it's interesting to me that look what he... he, uh, Uh, talks about here. Relationships, apparently, according to Paul, jam people up. Not me saying it, him saying it. 29. What's the second thing that jams people up? Emotional crises. Those who weep. And what's the third thing? Possessions. For the form of this world is passing away. But I want you to be without care. The blessing of being without care. Praise the Lord. You don't have to worry about college tuition because that's out of control, by the way. But anyway, for the world, form of this world is passing. But if I want you to be without care, or but I want you to be without care. He who is unmarried cares for the things of the Lord, 
how he may please the Lord. You have a greater ability to fall in love and treasure Jesus in a way that people who are married have a more difficult time. It's not impossible. It can be done. Of course it can be done. But you don't have to go around and put all the caps on the peanut butter and the ketchup that I leave unopened. You don't have to put the toilet seat down maybe or pick it up or whatever it is in your house and all the different things that come with marriage. You understand this? Paul's saying you're very light that you can go on. Now what's all this bit who has wives as, bo- uh, as though they should be none and those who weep as though they don't weep and those who rejoice as though they don't rejoice. This is fascinating. In light of the coming of Jesus Christ. Now listen, I know there might be people in here with different eschatological ideas and theologies, but let's think about this. If we're in the church age and you believe in the rapture, well, the rapture is going to happen and we're going to be the church, the bride caught up in the air. Uh, At that time, the tribulation period is going to happen. And you know, a lot of different things are going to happen in the tribulation. At the end of tribulation, the Lord Jesus is going to come back to the earth and establish his rule and reign for 1000 years. And I'm shortening this by a mile, but, you know, at the end of that time, this earth is going to pass away, and there's going to be a new earth and a new heavens. You understand that, right? But one of the things that we're going to be doing and rejoicing in in heaven, listen, is the marriage supper of the Lamb. And who are you going to be with? You're going to be with your brothers and sisters. And the Bible says in heaven, you're not going to be married or given in marriage. Isn't that interesting? And you're going to be there. And you know what you're going to be celebrating in in heaven? You're going to be celebrating the greatness and the glory of Jesus Christ. Do you know that? That's what you're going to be celebrating. You're going to be celebrating the beauty and the love of Jesus Christ. Now, So I got to tell you some things. As we read through this, and Paul says this, watch watch what he keeps on going. He says in verse 33, but he who is married cares about the things of the world, how he may please his wife. There uh, there is a difference, verse 34, between a wife and a virgin. The unmarried woman cares about the things of the Lord, that she may be holy both in body and spirit. But she who is married cares about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. And this I say for your own profit, not that I may put a leash on you, but for what is proper, and that you may serve the Lord without distraction. What a blessing. And even here, as you recognize that singleness is good and has been established by grace, You understand that you're not distracted or entangled. Listen, I should say it this way. You have an opportunity to be less distracted and entangled and weighed down and more focused than the person who's married. You're in a, listen, listen, you're in a unique position. Listen, to love and be loved, to treasure Christ and be treasured, to hear from him and to love him and to praise him and to serve him and to serve others. And you're in a unique position to disciple other people, which is the core function of the church. What do you need to disciple people? What's number one? First thing, what do you need after a relationship with the Lord? What do you need to disciple people? Time. 
If you want to be a great discipler of people, you have to sacrifice. And what happens to the marrieds? Well, you know, Gertrude has to go to her 14th ballet lesson this week, and she's doing piano, and she's in the school play, and unfortunately, we're not going to be able to participate in discipleship this season. I mean, don't we say stuff like this? Of course we say stuff like this. And a single doesn't need to. You're in a unique position to serve and to praise him in ways that we didn't. Or we can't, sorry. This is fascinating to me. But if any man, verse 36, thinks he is behaving improperly toward his virgin, if she is past the flower of youth, and thus it must be, let him do what he wishes, he does not sin, uh, let him marry. Nevertheless, he who stands steadfast in his heart, having no necessity but his power of his own will, and has so determined in his heart that he will keep his virgin, does well. So then he, by the way, some people believe this is talking about people who are in that betrothal stage, that betrothal stage right here in these verses. So that makes more sense when you think about it that way. Uh, But anyway, so then he who gives her in marriage does well, but he who does not give her in marriage does better. A wife is bound by law as long as her husband lives, but if her husband dies, she's at liberty to be married to whom she wishes, only in the Lord, but she's happier to remain she is, according to my judgment, and I think I also have the Spirit of God. Now, what I want you to see is, is that the Bible tells us that we are to worship the Lord in the beauty, in the beauty, you know this, in the beauty of his holiness, right? Delight yourself in the Lord. That's what we're to be doing. And to uh, worship him in the beauty of his holiness. And so what, where can we get to the place where we're worshiping him in the beauty of his holiness? Well, one place, uh, and then we'll stop here in a minute, or a couple places. Do you remember this? Do you remember the story of Mary and Martha? Who here remembers the story of Mary and Martha? And who would you say you are? Are you Mary or are you Martha? Say it again. <laughs> Depends on what day it is. Okay. Uh, uh, remember what Jesus uh, said ultimately in that story. But one thing is needed, folks. One thing. You ever thought about that? Who's it easier for to handle? Who's it easier for to handle and to focus on one thing or less things? Somebody who doesn't have all the responsibilities of all the relationships that happen in the world. But one thing is needed, Jesus said, and Mary has chosen that good part, which will not be taken away from her. Here's another place in the Bible. One thing I have desired of the Lord, that I will seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Why? You know the rest of the psalm? To behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. In Luke 18, when Jesus heard these things, he said to him, you still lack one thing. And what was that one thing? Come follow me. Brethren, Paul said, I don't count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, I forget those things which are behind 
and reach forward to those things which are ahead. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul came to the place where he was trusting in the sovereignty, the providence, the goodness of God, the grace of God. And he came to a place where he didn't believe singleness was a penalty. He thought singleness was a blessing. And under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he shows us in the Bible that the gospel elevates singleness. Now, watch one other thing before we close. <laughs> You're saying, yeah, but I want to be married. Well, that's a good desire. Nothing wrong with that desire. In fact, it's led several of us in here to uh, then get married and be married. And the Bible says that's good too. And so every good and perfect gift comes from above. And so sometimes, and in many people's cases, marriage is for them and is good and wonderful. And you could keep praying for that even as you're single. But while you're single, and that's the point, do you understand that where you are right now is good? You're not lesser. Do you understand that it's been established by grace? Do you understand, and this is in infinite grace, in power and resource and kindness of our Lord and Savior? And do you understand that gives you a unique ability to serve the Lord that it doesn't afford others, especially in this culture? So while you're single, Go and do these things and treasure the Lord in a way that maybe some of us couldn't uh, fathom or do. I want to read you something, lest you think I'm just a pastor who's a, a male, <laughs> who's out of touch with reality. Well, let me read from Amy Carmichael. Come on, folks, if you don't know Amy Carmichael, she's one of the heroes of the faith. I mean, go read her books. They're so deep and so wonderful. Amy Carmichael lived from 1867 to 1951 and wanted to be a missionary from a very young age. And she started and spent some time in different places of the world, but eventually she found her way to India where she found her niche at last. She worked with uh, young girls whom she rescued from slavery. She rescued them from prostitution, and she raised them in this fellowship home or a system of fellowship homes. And, of course, she touched thousands in her books. If We have a few of them downstairs. They're so deep and so lovely. She knew she was loved by the Lord. Let me read to you what somebody wrote about Amy uh, and her life. Like most young ladies, Amy, who was very attractive and radiant, wanted to be married. But her great work would have been impossible as a married woman. And God gave her Psalm 34.22 as a special promise. Amy's struggles with this issue was deep, deeply personable. One she was unable to share for more than 40 years. When at last she said this to one of her children, and by children it means children in the faith who was facing a similar dilemma. On this day many years ago, I went alone to a cave in the mountain called Arima. I had feelings of fear about the future. 
That's why I went there, to be alone with God. And the devil kept on whispering to me. Here's what he whispered. Oh, it's all right now. But what about afterwards? You're going to be very, very lonely. And he painted pictures of loneliness, and Amy said she could still see them all. And she turned to her God in a kind of desperation and said, Lord, what can I do? How can I go on to the end? And he said, Psalm 34, 22 to me, none of them that trust in me shall be desolate. And that word, she said, was with her for the rest of her life. None of them that trust in me shall be desolate. Obviously, if we're single, can we trust? If we're married, can we trust? If we're widowed, can we trust? I think Psalm 81 says, when we open our mouths, he will fill it. He's good and kind and cares for your life and growth. Let's pray. Well, Lord, we thank you for this night, and we thank you for the blessing of being loved by you and to be known by you. We understand, Lord, there are desires to be married, but marriage isn't the end-all and the be-all. In fact, Lord, we're so thankful for your word where you tell us how wonderful and special and what a unique opportunity is to know you in deeper ways while we're single and to serve you in deeper ways while we're single or while we're single and to be moved forward in our Christian life by the grace that you give to us while we're single. Thank you that it's good. We love you and bless you. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.